okay? And we're going to look at the, an aspect of this story where we will point to the actions of an individual, but we understand that in proxy to who he's interacting with and what Jesus teaches us about that. So we're going to be in Matthew 8, verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5 um, says this. He says, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home in terrible agony. He said, he said to him, I am, I am come and uh, am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I have come to this one. I say uh, to this one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, as you have believed, and let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that moment. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this time, Lord, where we can... Reflect on what your word says. Father, where we can come and and observe the faith of this centurion and what Jesus has to say about it. Father, I pray in this place that you increase our faith. Lord, we too, just like the centurion, are dealing with problems, being able to not control things. Father, I just pray that you would intervene in those situations that we would come to you with humility and with trust so that you would be able to work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when uh, Adam had told me before uh, this week, I think it, last week, he said, I'm going to invite some veterans to come. Now, we did invite some veterans to come, and a few of them came. Um, and they're not here now, but that's okay. A few of them did pass by. And, and when we think of veterans and we think of, 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 of people that have served, um, we, we, we kind of admire their, their bravery. We kind of admire, you know, going into combat. We kind of admire the, the roles that, that they, might, uh, they might have done. I come from a family of veterans. My, grand, my two grandfathers, one served in Korea um, as, a, I think he was like a cook on a, on a, a boat. So that's interesting. I never really got to meet him. My gra- other grandfather served in World War II. And, and, and my dad and my dad also served. He served in Korea, but just not in the war in Korea. He served in peacetime in Korea. And my dad, it was funny, the way he decided to go into the military was he would go every year with my grandpa to his to his reunion. Now, my grandpa's company every year would re- would have a reunion. I mean, company, his military company would have a reunion, and they were just this band of brothers, as you could see. They spent time together. They they invaded Europe. They they uh, they they beat the Nazis. And my dad's like, I want to I want to build that camaraderie. 
I want to build that. I want to see that. Maybe one day I'll be like that. And he served in the, in the military. His service wasn't, wasn't quite like that. But still, I, I, I just admire them. And so we have a, a story here about a centurion, someone who is in Capernaum, which is in that day Israel, a soldier that is ruling uh, these folks. We see centurions, and I, it's, it's amazing when you see them because there's a centurion that has a statement that one gospel revolves around. It is the focal point of the whole gospel. I'll get to, I'll get to that at the very end. But I just kind of wanted to put that out there, that, that, that there is a gospel that, that centers on what a soldier, a soldier's observation. But we'll get to that at the end. Um, we talk, I, I titled this, this message, Amazement of Faith, or Amazed by Faith. And we're talking about this uh, sermon series of God in football. Have you ever seen something amazing on the field? Have you ever seen someone do something that was awesome? I, I can't say I've been in that position, but it's fun to watch it. Um, there's, a, there's a little segment on ESPN that says, uh, they call it, You Got Mossed. If anybody knows who Randy Moss is, he was a very prolific wide receiver in the NFL. And now anytime they make these poster catches, these beautiful catches, they have a little segment and they show these great catches and they say, you got mossed. One of the, one of the marquee catches in the NFL was a guy, he was bending over backwards and he caught the ball in the back of his, with basically his two fingers. And it was an amazing catch. People, people still talk about that catch. In baseball, they're called web gyms. If you've ever been seen uh, Sports Center, they talk about web gyms. These guys that make these great plays, uh, they make these improbable outs or these awesome catches, or they take these balls off the off the astro turf that's coming at them at 120 miles per hour and throw the guy out. So awesome to see. You know, sports gives us a lot of things that we could be in amazement about. I have a friend of mine uh, that was on the top 10 plays on ESPN. I want to say it might have even been the top 10 of the year plays in, in, on ESPN. When I went to Nickel State, we were a running team. If you've ever, my Curtis folks out there kind of know what it means to be a running team. We ran the ball all the time, right? They ran this little option, this little flex mode. It was fun to watch for me. Rarely threw it. As I, as, as I was at the BCM, we had a guy that come bigger guy, and uh, turns out he was a tight end on the football team. Okay, cool. We were having a great season one season, and uh, during this game, it was just everything was going right for us, and we decided to fake the run, and we're going to throw the ball. And when you see it, you can look up, you can look up, if you want to see it, top ten, Jared Landrum, Landrum's catch. And he, the, the quarterback goes to throw the ball, and run blockers can't pass block very well when they're run blocking all the time. And the quarterback had these people in his face, and he throws the ball while getting hit. I don't even know if he was aiming for the guy he was throwing to. The ball goes, bounces off the defender's head, bounces about, ten, uh, bounces about five or ten yards, and catches that tight end in stride. He catches the ball scores the touchdown. 
I'd like to say he did, yeah, he had other catches. That was the only catch of his whole career. That night, you go and the announcer's like, that's going to be on Sports Center. Well, sure enough, you go home and yeah, it's on Sports Center. And a friend of mine says that, and I, like I said, I think it made the top 10 plays a year because it was so improbable. It was so cool. A friend of mine said, you know, we were talking to him and, uh, we were talking to the tight end, and my friend says, hey, if that was me, I'd, have it on, I'd be playing it on repeat. And every morning when I woke up, I'd turn on the TV and look at my catch, and I'd say, that was me. That was awesome. Amazement. It, it, things happen that are amazing. In this passage, in verse 10, we see Jesus being amazed. It's hard to, to think of something that can amaze somebody who knows all things. But we see this amazement. And it's not because a centurion is a centurion or for, for, for any of the, his deeds in battle or any of his, his um, even his intelligence. It's not because he made a big play. It's not because he saved people. But it was the statements that he makes. Jesus was amazed. And what the gospel writers are doing and what Jesus is doing is calling attention to what this person is saying and what they believe. Being amazing to Christ, an amazement of faith. Not that we catch him off guard, but that we say these things that are true to him, that we approach humbly and trust in him. So we're going to talk about three things in this passage, just real quick. In this context, Jesus had just finished up the Sermon on the Mount. He's traveling and traveling and traveling. And he, in that sermon, he's telling them at the end of the sermon, uh, you're, either, you're either going the narrow path or you're going the wide path. You're either building on the rock or you're building on the sand. And so when we get stories right after something like that, I think Jesus is calling our attention. This person is building on the rock. So the first thing I want us to see in this, in this sermon is the humility of the centurion. The humility of the centurion. Um, so when, just to kind of give you some, some uh, well, just to kind of give you some context, uh, these centurions in first century Rome, they were the commander of a of hundred men. So they were these commanders. They were people who, um, like I said, there was an occupying army. They were there to keep the peace. They were there to, to settle issues. They were there to have an army close. But it's funny, when you talk about centurions in the, in the Bible, centurions in the Bible, if you look at every time they're talked about, they're always praised. They're always like saying good things and doing good things. And I didn't know this until I studied the passage that actually centurions were not just chosen because of, um, because of their, their valor, but they were chosen because of their character and their strength of mind. These were smart people. These were people that, that, that were wise. They, they made good decisions. And when you see them always saying these true things or always being helpful even in the book of Acts, uh, in the book of Acts, they were all, uh, they, Paul was on a ship, and it was going bad. And the centurion, uh, the, the Roman soldiers were told to not lose their prisoners. If they had to, they would kill their prisoners. And the centurion was the one that stepped in and said, hold on, 
Let's think about this. Let's look for peace. Let's not kill anybody yet. Let's not do those things. Having the strength of mind and the strength of character to be able to, uh, to make wise decisions. And so when we see a centurion, I think we should really kind of focus on what he's doing. Centurions in that day, they could get the job done. It's fun when you look at uh, the army and you look at how equipped they are to get the job done. They can go into battle and they can uh, use force to, uh, to take care of a situation. And also times we see them being people of peace, people that come in and, and are able to bring you utilities, able to cross a bridge, able to, um, able to feed folks. It doesn't take us long to think back, maybe if some of you were here for Katrina, to think back, I can remember leaving uh, or being in the city those uh, few days after the storm, and I remember the, over the Huey P. Long Bridge, there was just this huge caravan of, of military vehicles just coming over the Huey P. Long Bridge. They were coming to help us out. They were coming because to get the job done, to help out. It's awesome to see that this is a guy that could do anything he needed to do. But he has a problem here. He has a problem that he can't help out. Look at what it says, verse 5. It says, When entering Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying home, paralyzed, in terrible agony. This was a problem he couldn't deal with. This is a problem that he couldn't make better. You see, life's supposed to make sense. We're supposed to be able to deal with stuff logically. This centurion was certainly a guy that could, that could do that. He had character. He had strength of mind. And, and he knows that, if anybody knows, that death was a part of what we do here, of life, of agony is a part of life. But he heard about Jesus. And he heard about what Jesus had done enough to know, I'm going to go and seek Jesus out because I can't do it. When we look at our lives, we can try to do it on our own. We can try to make all the right moves. And it's funny, as even as I talk with Adam and as I talk with Hope and just people in my life, I'm like, when I put it on paper, I feel like I'm making good decisions in X, Y, or Z area, but Sometimes it just doesn't seem to add up why it's not working out. And the centurion had a problem, and he went to Jesus. I love Jesus' response, because if you know anything about first century Jewish folks uh, and, and Gentiles, who the centurion was one of, he said to him, am I to come and heal him? Meaning, he couldn't go... By Jewish law, he couldn't go into that centurion's house. How was he going to get there to heal that person? Just by the tradition that they, that they keep. The centurion didn't, didn't care. And he gives this beautiful statement of faith that, that, that is, catches Jesus' attention. I just kind of want to talk about, talk about what that statement is. It says, uh, verse 8, Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. An awesome, awesome statement. But he goes on to say this, For I, too, am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. 
I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. We see this beautiful picture. Two, two little aspects of this statement. We see this humility. This guy's a leader. Other than, other than Pontius Pilate and, and Herod at the end of Jesus' life, there's really not many folks that Jesus comes into and the religious leaders that have power like this man has. But he comes to Jesus humbly. It's amazing. People that have, that have gone through life and have seen things, how sometimes they're, they're some of the most humble folks that you can see. And I believe that as we grow and as we draw near to Christ, it doesn't puff us up. And it makes us more humble. We see this in the centurion, the humility. We also see his trust. He knows what Jesus can do. He's heard about Jesus. I don't know exactly what he knows about Jesus, but just coming in proxy to Jesus, he comes humbly and he trusts what Jesus can do. Do you trust Jesus? How do you approach Jesus? And I was thinking about that as we worshiped just a few minutes ago. Um, just thinking about this centurion, this man who's, who's, who's probably battle-hardened, who's, who's, who's got so much authority, who's lived his life and, and achieved a goal, coming in contact with this Jewish peasant, who he doesn't know a whole lot about, but this Jewish peasant was someone who was the creator of heaven and earth. He was God in flesh. Anything that, anything he, this is power talking to power. And real power in the person of Jesus Christ. We see as he comes to Jesus, he doesn't come puffed up like many folks come. He doesn't come like the rich young ruler about uh, bringing praise to himself. He's not like the Pharisees who brought praise to themselves and were very skeptical of Jesus. But he came humbly. The humility of the centurion, it's never a bad thing to be humble. Ever. Never bad. You can't go wrong at work, at church, at home to be humble. So we see the humility of the centurion. Secondly, we see the amazement of Christ. The amazement of Christ. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed. He was amazed. The other versions might say he marveled at him. When I looked up this word to see if it was used any other time in Scripture, um, we're talking about Jesus being amazed. Every time it was used in Scriptures about Jesus, he was amazed at their lack of faith. He marveled at their lack of faith. He got a little emotional about their lack of faith. And this is the one time it's used in, the, in Jesus saying he was amazed at the centurion's faith, because of his humility, because of his statements there, he was amazed by his faith. So, um, look at, in, yeah, if you look in verse 27, I'm just going to kind of kind of reference what I said there. Verse 27, same chapter, I don't have it on the, um, in the PowerPoint, it says, uh, the Jesus was commanding the winds and the waves. In uh, verse 26, he says, He said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? He got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. 
These men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. So whereas Jesus Jesus never really used it in, in reference to anybody, a lot of folks used it in reference to Jesus. They were amazed by the things he said. They were amazed by, by the things he was doing. They were amazed by the way he, he talked. Christ shows emotions in displays of faith or lack of faith. We see, if you want to see the most emotional Jesus gets, it's when either someone displays faith or someone displays the lack of faith. In John 11, we see Jesus arriving on the scene where his friend Lazarus had died. And we see the only, I think, one of maybe two instances, but the only explicit incident where Jesus wept. And you can see him weeping. A lot of scholars say he's weeping because he's grieving his friend. Many scholars will say that he's weeping because of the lack of faith. And what he tells him is, if you just believe, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. We see the amazement of Christ here. We see the amazement of Christ. Where is your faith? Where is your belief? Sometimes we get in this rut of just kind of kind of doing everything that makes sense. Like I was saying, making good decisions on paper. And we lack the belief and the faith in Christ. We've kind of taken him out of the decision. And we just go basically on emotion or on facts. The amazement of Christ. Christ is amazed at his belief. Look at, look at what it says as it continues on. Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. We see this beautiful statement. Not found anyone in Israel so great a faith. Jesus' ministry at that time was to Israel. Was, we rarely see him kind of going out of that area. And one of the instances where a Syrophoenician woman comes to him and she wants uh, him to heal her, uh, her, her child, I think, and um, this Syrophoenician comes and, and she says a statement kind of like what the centurion says. And, she, and, and from that statement, Jesus uses it as a teaching moment. This woman is trusted in me and she's a Gentile. Where is your faith? Where is your belief? So we see the humility of the centurion. We see the amazement of Christ. And lastly, we see the result of faith. The, the results of faith. The results of faith. Uh, verse 11, it says, um, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, where there uh, will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, As you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. In that little part, the results of faith, God's salvation is for all. Many will come from the east into west to share in the banquet. God's salvation is for all. Although Jesus' primary ministry was right in that little, that little area, God's salvation was for all who put their trust in Jesus. Everyone that come from the east and the west, for all to put their faith in Jesus.
He's reminding them that, that this is not just this little localized movement, that God is doing something big. It's the result of that. We see this beautiful picture of this banquet. God's salvation is for all. And then verse 12 kind of takes a little bit of a, of a darker turn there. The sons of the kingdom will be, turned, or will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The truth about heaven and hell. The truth that there is a place we want to go and there is a place we don't want to go. And that separation there is by what we put our faith and trust in. Um, a pastor friend of mine, a guy that mentored me, said, there's, a, there's about an 18-inch difference between heaven and hell. He used to always say that. And he was an 18-inch difference between, they're 18 inches away. He says it goes from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Kind of an easy way to put that. You can know the right things and say the right things. If you don't believe it, it's nothing. Put your trust in Jesus. I listened to a show this week, uh, and I'm always intrigued in my YouTube mentions. Um, and it was from a secular point, it was not from a Christian point of view, about what the afterlife is and what is consciousness. And it was funny to hear them talk about it because I like to hear that perspective every now and then. And the host of the show and the, the, the guy he was interviewing, he really had no idea. And he, he was saying that he likes to spend time with his family, most of all, because he doesn't know what's next. And the, 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 show, the, uh, the guy who runs the show was like, well, let me tell you what I think, all right? He goes into the spiel about hallucinate, hallucinogen drugs and, and stuff like that, about how something is going on with the consciousness, and it can bring you here and bring you there, and that's just experiments about the mind and the trappings of your soul and your body. I mean, it was weird. It really was weird. And I'm like, boy, if we just had something from somebody that knows that can tell us kind of what to expect. As a Christian, I think it's, it's pretty clear that we can expect something good if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. It, it's just pretty clear like that. It's not this consciousness that goes here and goes there. No, we believe, and the guy, the guy uh, I think the guy he interviewed said, is there a body? Do we go, will there be any sort of body? And the the Bible is explicit that, yes, there's going to be a resurrection. That's why we celebrate Easter, because of the resurrection. The result of faith is that one day we will rise again. I don't know how. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know, uh, you know, how it's all going to work, because really our bodies become dust again. But the result of faith and putting our trust in Jesus is that we have this hope of, in, in Christ. Not just in the afterlife, but even here now. Put your trust in Jesus. We can come to Jesus with humility and trust, and we could see him work as we put our faith in him. Back to that question I had said earlier, that, that, that observation I had said earlier about, there's a book of the Bible that revolves around a statement by a uh, centurion. Once again, these are guys that, if anybody knows death, it's centurions. If anybody knows what it means to, uh, to suffer, it would be a centurion. 
These guys, that's, that's what they did. We see this in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is weird because all the other Gospels kind of kind of hit this hit this awesome resurrection point, right? Mark, Mark, he mentions the resurrection, but it's kind of not an afterthought, but it, it's it's a little bit of a different focus for Mark. It, it's like I said, it, it's it's kind of weird how Mark is, and there's many scholars that will tell you all kinds of theories on why Mark does that. Okay, we're not going to get into all of that. But one thing that is clear is in, in this action-packed gospel, everybody is saying, well, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And you'll have a few folks that, that kind of get it right or get it close to right, and you get these other folks that get it way wrong. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And it's this, this centurion at the end that makes this statement, and it literally is... You know, one of the last little statements in Scripture, but it's all going, uh, going to this. Mark 15, he says this. Mark 15, 37 says this. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. It takes to the end for somebody to see this man suffering, see all these things with with his death, and make this statement. And Mark is saying in his gospel, he got it right. It takes this centurion, man of good judgment, a man that knows death, a man that might have been over the beating and the and and the the whole rigmarole of what crucifixion is supposed to look like, so that you don't get out of line again of justice. In essence, he says this man was the Son of God. If we look in the Gospels, I think that that hopefully is our conclusion. It's not just we can live our lives better. It's not just. Uh, some gymnastics that we can do once a, once a, a Sunday morning. And if you're really good, you can come to small group. And if you're really, really good, you come here early and whatever. Serve. Those are good things. But don't miss it. Jesus is the Son of God. Put your trust in Him. If you already, if you already have your trust in Him, praise Him for it. Praise Him because He is good. Praise Him because He is God. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to lift you up. Not a centurion, but to lift you up. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his emotions, and we thank you for his, Lord, his indication, Lord, on what it means to be humble and to trust you. Father, I I, I just thank you that that we can gather with the theme of, of grace and the theme of your goodness because you are way, way too good for us. Lord, we thank you for giving us your son, dying on the cross, and we thank you for the hope of an eternity with you and a hope in this life 